Good morning. I'm excited to be with you here today and really hope that you can see how you can have authentic faith through Rahab. Well, in case you don't know, we're in a sermon series on Hebrews 11, going through the Hall of Faith. And uh, the last few weeks, we've been talking about Moses and how his faith was shown through his actions, through leading the people of Israel. We saw that he didn't desire the treasures of Egypt, but instead desired to please God who is invisible. And then last week, we saw how Moses led the Israelites through the Red Sea and the great faith that that took with the, unco- with the oncoming army of Egypt at their tail, but trusting God to deliver them. Now, now this week we come to, after Israel has been wandering in the desert for 40 years um, for the punishment of the sin of the old generation for their unbelief. Well, because of their unbelief, God caused them to wander for 40 years. But now, with that generation passed away, God has prepared this new generation to enter the promised land to take hold of the promise that he made to Abraham to give them the land. So here we see this faithful generation and then an unlikely character, Rahab, that will show us how to have an authentic faith. Rahab is a Canaanite prostitute woman. And that is someone that you would not expect is going to teach us about faith and righteousness. So if you will, turn to Hebrews 11, 30 and 31. Hebrews 11, 30 and 31. By faith, the walls of Jericho fell down after they had been encircled for seven days. By faith, Rahab the prostitute did not perish with those who were disobedient because she had given a friendly welcome to the spies. Now, uh, a few weeks ago, I was reading a book series by one of my professors called the Shavice Trilogy. I'm sure none of you have heard it. It's just an obscure book series on his imagination of what the world might be like in 400 years. And if we went into a nuclear, the world was just completely destroyed at this point. And it's talking about like how Christianity really has been, in a sense, wiped out. And there's just these little tribes that believe these different things, kind of going back into an older time period. Well, kind of the main point of this book, this series, is the discovery of God and how God, it's his kind of imagination of how God can display his glory and bring and show the world who he is after a devastation. So what intrigues me is actually the second book, which the whole theme is that God uses the foolish to shame the wise and uses the weak and uses the weak to shame the strong. That's the whole theme of the second book. Now, throughout the second book, the main characters, Teo and Anna, time and time again, are trying to find the New Testament. They find relics, they find these different things, and they don't understand who God is. And really, it seems like they have success several times, but each time there's just failure and failure. Finally, they get a New Testament, but it ends up being burned. Well, at the end of the story, it's just kind of utter defeat, except you realize that there is a man named Liber that they find on an island. The man is uh, uh, mentally handicapped, and throughout the story, for most of the people, 
doesn't seem to be of any use. But you see at the end of the story that he is the exact key to finding the New Testament. Even though he was despised, in a sense, by the whole culture, he then becomes honored and when the New Testament is recovered. And it's found out that he, as a child, was put through training to memorize the whole New Testament. Because although he was dull in his other senses, he had an amazing memory. He could memorize anything you told him. So they ran through the uh, New Testament with him, and he ended up memorizing it. So kind of that, to me, is when I was thinking about Rahab and how God likes to use the weak things of the world. That came to my mind. And I think we can see through Lieber and through Rahab how God chooses the unlikely and how he does it for his glory to show us more of who he is. Now, the main point I want to get across to you today is how to have an authentic faith that truly pleases God. Not a faith that just means nothing, but something that affects your whole life. Now, the first point today is faith that is authentic is shown when we focus on our present obedience. Faith that is authentic is shown when we focus on our present obedience. Now, where do I get this from Rahab? Well, really, because Rahab obeyed God. And when you look at the story, uh, you see that she's a Canaanite prostitute. Now, as we read in Joshua 2.1, and if you want to, you can turn to Joshua 2. I'm going to be reading different sections at different times from Joshua 2 and following that narrative. And Joshua, the son of Nun, sent two men secretly from Shemitai as spies, saying, Go, view the land, especially Jericho. They went and came into the house of a prostitute whose name was Rahab, and they lodged there. Well, like I said, we see that Rahab was a prostitute Canaanite woman, and really kind of an outcast from Israel's standpoints, but even an outcast in her own society. And that, but yet, when the opportunity was thrust upon her and the spies came to her, she welcomed them in, which we see is the difference. If, Rahab, if anyone had baggage to not obey God, it was Rahab. How about you? Is your past keeping you from obeying God? Do you feel marked by weight and the guilt of your sin? She could have. She could have said, well, I'm unworthy to serve God. I'm unworthy to know him. But instead, with the situation she was presented, she obeyed in faith. I know for me, and I assume with others, that when we've been sinful at times, we feel like, like, like I said, we are unworthy and that God can, cannot use us and does not want us. But that is far from the truth. If God, God desired, he delighted in showing himself to a pagan prostitute, and he desires the same for you. Now, something else I want to see is how Rahab opposed the disbelief of the Canaanites. Now, we read in verses 9 and 11 of Joshua chapter 2 that, the, that their hearts melted and the inhabitants of the land melted away before them. Now, why do I find this significant? Because I think it shows that it wasn't just Rahab that had heard of God, but the whole land had heard of who God was through the mighty act of the Red Sea and them destroying the nations of Sihon and Og. God's name was known. The people in, in Jericho were frightful. They knew that God was a strong God. However, we see that, in, but the difference in Rahab, as Hebrews 11.31 is, that, she, that 
she believed. Rahab didn't perish with the disobedient because she gave a friendly welcome to the spies. Now, what exactly is Jericho's disobedience? It's not necessarily just sin, living a generally sinful life, because Rahab also was a sinner. It was a great sinner, like Jericho. There's not a difference in there. The difference is the belief that she has in God and, and the humility to accept him instead of the hardness of heart that we see of Jericho. She was a, she was a prostitute, and instead of looking pridefully, she recepted them in humility. We also see that the Canaanites' disobedience was also in tracing down the, the spies and trying to stop the plan of God. Now, continuing on with the story in, jo- in Joshua 2, verse 2. And it was told to the king of Jericho, Behold, the men of Israel have come here tonight to search out the land. Then the king of Jericho sent to Rahab, saying, Bring out the men who have come to you, who entered your house, for they have come to search out the land. But the woman had taken the two men and hidden them. And she said, True, the men came to me, but I did not know where they were from. And when the gate was about to close at dark, the men went out. I do not know where the men went. Pursue them quickly, for you will overtake them. But she had brought them up to the roof and had hid them with the stalks of flax. And she had laid in order on the roof, so the men pursued after them on the way to the Jordan as far as the fords. And the gates shut, and the gate was shut as soon as the pursuers had gone out. So instead, like I said, instead of the humble demeanor we see here, we see an aggressive demeanor of trying to overtake them instead of receiving them and accepting them, which is exactly what I said is the contrast of Rahab and the Canaanites. Now, and really, when we look at Rahab, we see that Rahab didn't necessarily understand everything. She didn't know the Torah. She didn't know what God was doing. She just saw that God, that God had blessed this nation, decided to show mercy and kindness to them, and decided to be a part of that. Now, someone I've, that I've seen as a good example of present obedience and someone who has just obeyed God with what she has known is actually my mother. When my mother uh, first started going to village and really started taking her faith seriously, something that I noticed was that she would always look at the word and be like, and be encountered with something. Someone would say something to her, and she'd be like, all right, how is this going to change my life? I've been living my life my way for 40 years, but how will the word and what God is teaching me, what does that have to do with me? And she would even say, I don't understand all this theological stuff or any of that, but if you told her something about God, she would hold it with all of her heart and let that truth affect her life. And really, that's what we have to be like. We have to be focused on our present obedience. What is God asking you to do now? What does he want you to do now? Don't worry about tomorrow. Don't think about yesterday. God is calling you all to do something in the moment, and he wants your obedience then. You can't change your obedience of yesterday, or you can't determine what you're going to do tomorrow, but you can choose what you're going to do today. Now, this leads us to the second point I want to bring up, which is that faith that is authentic is shown when we put our faith into action. Faith that is authentic is shown when we put our faith into action. 
Now, when I was studying uh, the message of Rahab, what just kept hitting me, and I kept seeing about Rahab's faith was just how visible and tangible it was. It, it always had an, out, it had an outworking to what she said she believed. It wasn't just something she believed in her head, but actually caused her to be different and caused her to act within the story. Now, before I go into Rahab's specific actions that I see throughout the story that display her faith, I want to explore what was her faith actually in? What was she putting her hope and trust into? So Rahab's action, the, a the action of Rahab, it, this is based on what God has already done. Now, when I look at the narrative of Joshua, I was surprised just how Rahab spoke of God. I was kind of thinking, all right, she might kind of know something, you know. But then when I opened the passage, I was like, I didn't realize the ways that Rahab actually spoke of him. So I'm going to read Joshua, 8, uh, Joshua 2, 8 through 13. Before the men lay down, she came up to them on the roof and said to the men, I know that the Lord has given you the land and that the fear of you has fallen upon us and that all the inhabitants of the land melt away before you. For we have heard how the Lord dried up the water of the Red Sea before you when you came out of Egypt, and, and what you did to the two kings of the Amorites who were beyond the Jordan, to Sihon and Og, whom you devoted to destruction. And as soon as we heard it, our hearts melted, and there was no spirit left in any man because of you. For the Lord, your God, he is God in the heavens above and on the earth beneath. Now, now, then please swear to me by the Lord that as I have dealt kindly with you, you also will deal kindly with my father's house and give me a sure sign that you will save alive my father and mother, my brothers and sisters, and all who belong to them, and deliver our lives from death. And the men, and the men said to her, our life for yours, even to death. If you do not tell this business of ours, when the Lord gives us the land, we will deal kindly with you. Now, we look at Rahab's words and we see that she's basing her faith in who, in what, in who God is and what he has done. Her faith is seeing God's strong hand as the Israelites cross the Red Sea. And also how they destroyed Sihon and Og. And we see throughout the Old Testament other heroes of the faith doing similarly. Looking back to this event of the Red Sea, we see in different psalms and different things that people like David and Solomon continuing to remember this event that shows as God is a mighty, merciful deliverer. And, we, and Rahab does the same. <clears throat> and when Rahab is looking at this, as I said, she sees the God of Israel as a powerful God, but also sees him as the merciful one who delivers his people from slavery. Do you see the same thing? Do you look back at the scriptures and look at what God has done, what he has revealed to us? It teaches us about who he is. Like Rahab, we should reflect on what God has done. She reflected on the Red Sea and the destruction of the two kings, and we need to reflect on the Bible and be convicted, rebuked, taught, encouraged, and trained by it. But ultimately, all these events are so that we know God. And as Christians, we look especially to the life, death, resurrection, and ascension of Jesus Christ. <clears throat> that is our Red Sea, not just a parting of the waters, 
but we see the Son of God die and die our death. And that, even what we just celebrate in communion, is what we remember. And even what things like the Passover and the crossing of the Red Sea are pointing to. They're all pointing to the event of Christ. And that is what we will continually remember now and for all of eternity. So, and really, like I said, all of Scripture is pointing to that, to the event and promise, or pointing back to it. And application. Now, this action is also based on what God has, and who God has already been. Now, what I really mean by this is that we see that is who God is, not just in His works, but as in His person. Now, those two can kind of be related because we know God through His works. But my point here is that Rahab didn't just see a mighty work; she saw the God behind it. When Rahab says in uh, Joshua two verse eleven. For the Lord your God, he is God in the heavens above and on the earth beneath. So Rahab didn't just see some powerful God, but saw God for who he truly was. And really, when you look at this statement, it's a very strong statement. Like, only, it's only ever used to people who truly saw God for who he was. He is God. Um, it's talking about a very singularity of God being the one true God in the heavens. Now, and really, this belief is what caused her to do the things she did, like hide the spies and everything else there, because she truly believed that God was God. Now, we say that we believe God is God, but I feel a lot of times we live as if we are atheists. Because when you truly believe something, it affects your whole life and changes what you are doing. Now, another thing that this faith is based on is this action is based on what God has already spoken. As I said, the people of Jericho knew that God had decreed to destroy them. Their hearts were in terror. They saw that they were coming to take possession of the, of the promised land and that they were camped out near the city and that they were coming in for destruction. However, like I said, instead of the people... Of, of Jericho, who pridefully thought, fought to, uh, to fight against Israel, Rahab submitted in humility. Like I said, she only knew a little bit about what God was doing, but yet that was all that mattered in this story, is that she followed what God had revealed to her. Yet we have the inspired word of God, and his thoughts are made plain to us. We have 66 books of the Bible of God's word to us. She had a small knowledge and seeing him cross the Red Sea and seeing them cross the Red Sea and what he did there. Now, now Rahab didn't kind of believe what God was saying, but she pledged, she sweared, because she truly believed that destruction was coming to her and her family. There's no reason for her to be so serious in the story, to do the things that she did, which I'll get into in a second, unless she truly believe the words of God. And it's, it's interesting because a lot of times we say we believe the words of God and that Jesus is coming back soon. We live as if he is not. Um, but the words of God are our very authority in life. Calvin says that we should read the Bible as if it is God speaking directly to you. Not as that is some dead book, that, that book that men read wrote, but when you read the scriptures, you realize that God wrote that 
for your instruction, for you to know and love him more. And that they are the very words of life. Now, let's take a look at some of the activities of how Rahab's faith was put into action. I've talked about what her faith was based in. Now I want to show how that faith informed what she did. So as we look at the narrative of Joshua 2, we see that Rahab lied to the king, showing that her allegiance was with God and not with the pagan king. It would have been easy for Rahab to just turn in the spies and find favor with the king and um, get the trouble off her back, but she took on the, the danger of siding with them and keeping them in, which could have resulted in her death and the death of her family. But, as I said, she truly believed God was bringing destruction. She, she believed God was God. So for her, the logical conclusion was to do that. Now, now a quick note that Rahab was not commended for the lie. She was commended for the, the welcoming of the spies. We see throughout the scriptures that God condemned lying and even in other scenarios, like in Abraham, where he, for a good cause, so that he doesn't die and his wife isn't taken from him, lies and says, she's my sister. But God very clearly says that you should not have done that and trusted him. And we also see that in the character of God, because God is truth. And he always desires us to be, us to be true and imitate him in that. Really, the point isn't the lie in Hebrews 11. The point is her allegiance and where her allegiance lies. Not with the king or with the people of Jericho, but with God. However, getting away from the lying aspect, we learn that Rahab didn't, as I said, didn't want to align herself with that nation, but with God. Think about how she turned away the king's favor and, and instead chose to follow after God. Is your faith greater than your allegiance to anything else in this world? the different kingdoms or things that are ruling your life? Are you trusting in your money, the government, yourself? There's so many things that we give our allegiance to instead of, like Rahab, denying those allegiances and following after God. Now, again, what are you serving and being loyal to? Telvin also says that our hearts are idol factories. And I, and I also add to that that Anything we really come in contact with can be an idol, can change our allegiances. And that's why we must always continually reaffirm our allegiance to God. And it doesn't mean you're not saved or anything, but our hearts can so easily be turned away from God. And it's really about who are you trying to please? We say we're trying to please God, but are we? Are our actions showing that we're trying to please others? Now, Rahab also showed faith in hiding and, and hiding them, and also in hanging the scarlet cord from the window. James 2, 25 is another passage that speaks about Rahab. And that says, And in the same way was not also Rahab the prostitute justified by works, when she received the messengers and sent them out by another way. Now, what this is not saying is that she was saved by her works. The passage is in a whole section of James where he's talking about people who say they believe in God, but it does not affect their life at all. He's talking here, he says that with your faith without your works is dead, saying that faith by itself will always do something. 
and return, which is the whole point of this point that your faith, if it is genuine faith, will do something. It will not stay dormant. For instance, if you were in the street and you knew that a car was traveling at 55 miles an hour and was going to hit you, you would move. You would not stay there. Your faith, your belief, you knowing that that is true, you'd move. If you didn't actually think a car was coming, you would continue to stand there. Like, also, if you're the cure to cancer and you just said, ah, oh well, and you sat by, but you're the cure to cancer, you would probably go and do something. That knowledge, that belief would change your action. Anyways, James points to that if you know God, you will be doing good works. Not to, be, not to be saved, but because you are saved. And again, that's with the whole theme of James 2 in that chapter and his whole argument. And it's really because, as I've talked about a little bit, your actions flow from what you fundamentally believe. We like to think that we, that our, we can do all these different actions, but really, we're creatures of habit, and we do what we actually think. And you may think, oh, I believe this or I believe that. But by your actions, show what you truly believe. Now, and I'm not just saying this for salvation, but also just as I've been in the church six, seven years now and realized at Village and realized all these things I say I believe in my head, but then all the things that I believe in addition or the things that I say I believe that I actually don't believe and that's found out by my actions. Now, this is really what stuck with me when I looked at the story of Rahab, is that reading through it, I saw many of her actions. And in Hebrews and James, saw just how she betrayed this faith. Now, similarly, moving on in the narrative story, they come to Rahab, the Israelites also show how their faith, and that they walk in verse 30, which says in Hebrews 11, by faith, the walls of Jericho fell down after they had been encircled by seven day, for seven days. Now, it was only this active faith of the Israelites. God could have just chosen to break the wall down and let, the, let them go in and conquer it. But he decided to, in a sense, test their faith by doing the seemingly monotonous and pointless work of walking around the city one day then for, for six days walking around it once and then just going back to the camp and then the seventh day walking around it seven times. But we see that this shows that they truly believed God. They truly believed that God was going to make the walls fall down. If they didn't believe it, they wouldn't have done it. And if they said they would have believed it and didn't do it, it would have shown that they truly didn't believe. Now, now, I've worked with the homeless ministry in the city for the last two years. And one thing I've learned is that, one, they love to talk to really just anyone, and they just enjoy any time you spend with them. But also that they don't really trust you until you've established a good relationship with them. I've talked with many, and they've said that they've had so many people come and go and just get burned by people who say they really care about them, and then leave 
and then when it gets cold or when it gets hard or when they've had a bad day, they never see them again. Now, my point in this is that they understand something that is fundamentally true about the human person. That, again, that what we do, it, that what we do is backed by what we truly believe. It was only after like a year and a half of really getting to know some of these people that they really started being, starting to care about my faith, my life, and the things that I was sharing with them. And it was because they truly realized that you're not just saying you care about me, but you've shown and proved that you've cared about me over these last years and a half. And when it's cold, you've come out here. When I've been hungry, you've given me something. And it's not just lip service, but something that is fundamentally what, I, what they believe. And really, that's the point. The world sees what we believe by what we do. So the point of that is, what do you actually believe? Are you, like my homeless friends, do you see that what you believe and what you do are tied inherently? And really, I just, I just ask that you sit down and really uh, look through yourself and see what you really be believe. And I know I've done that before and probably should do it again, that really look and see, all right, I say I believe these things, but how is my life showing what I truly believe? And is my life, are they the same? And if they're not, what do I actually believe, and how can I change those beliefs? And how do I need to deal with God and be in prayer with him for to really believe him more? Now, my last point for you today is that authentic faith is shown when we stand in the Lord Almighty. Faith that is authentic is shown when we stand firm in the Lord Almighty. Now, to stand for, firm is, there are several things in the story that we can stand firm in, and that can give us hope and let us look at the faithfulness of God through the life of Rahab. Now, Rahab's faithful stance resulted in her, fam in her eternal salvation. From Rahab's faith, from her trust in God, she was actually welcomed into Israel and, and uh, baptized as a proselyte and became a part of the nation, became a part of God's chosen people, and became a believer. Um, she then had fellowship with God and community with the other saints. It is this faith that unites us, and it is faith by which we are united to God. As Ephesians 2, 8 says, For it is by faith that you are saved through grace, not of your own works, but, of the, but it is a gift of God, so that no man may boast. It is faith that brings us to God, as it was with Rahab, as it is with Jesus Christ today. Now, some, now another result of Rahab's faithful stance was that it resulted in her family's temporary salvation. Now, while the, formal, while the former eternal salvation is for everyone, for everyone in this room, because everyone for this room and is offered to them, God sometimes does choose to give temporary salvation to bless others through the obedience of his children. doesn't necessarily mean it will happen. Just because you obey God doesn't mean your family will be saved, or that this good thing will happen to you in a, in a temporal sense, in a worldly sense. It may, but there is no guarantee of that in Scripture. And, uh, and also, 
And we see that Rahab, that had Rahab just believed God, this would have never happened. But through throwing this, but through throwing the scarlet cord out, she did. She saved not only her life but her whole family's. And really, the scarlet cord uh, is is interesting as I looked into that and just how it really does represent the like the blood of the lamb. Like in a sense, it's her Passover. They just did the pass the Passover that had just been established in Israel, and it was for them, as you guys talked about, you know, putting the blood on the doorpost. And in a way, Rahab's scarlet cord is her faith of putting it out there that that God would deliver her from the destruction that was coming. And really, we look at that as a type of uh, a type of Christ in that way, that Christ is Christ's blood covers us and is our Passover and our scarlet cord that that can that saves us from the wrath of God and, co and connects us to the Father. Now, Rahab's faithful stance also resulted in her life story being shared through the generations. I find it crazy that a Canaanite prostitute woman would be remembered until Christ, ret until Christ returns, and really probably for all of time, as we, as we praise and worship Jesus in heaven for how he used Rahab through the scriptures, that this woman would now continue to be talked about forever and ever. I mean, we're talking about her today, and a lot of people have preached sermons on her and spoken about her throughout the centuries. And Rahab had no idea that she'd be remembered in this way. She just obeyed God. And that's one of the things where we don't always see the results of our faith in this life, it, it may be after we're long gone. We don't know what our faith is doing and how it is encouraging other people and how it is building them up and how it is moving along the plan of God. But where I really see Rahab remembered and used by God in a powerful way is in the genealogy of Christ and Matthew 5. Now, some, now, there are some results that highlight God's salvation. So these results highlight God's salvation to all who call upon his name. So throughout the story of Rahab, we see an unlikely figure uh, come to know God and then be exalted in honor. And this just shows that it really, it really is anyone can accept Christ. It doesn't matter of your past sins if you find they are too great for you to come to Christ. Christ wants you as you are now. Again, wants that present obedience and wants you to come to him and, and ask for forgiveness and, re and receive him. Now, it doesn't matter if you've lived your whole life in sin. There is grace. Or even if you think, oh, I haven't been that bad. I've just sinned a little bit. Any sin separates you from God. He's God is holy. It doesn't matter if you've only sinned once, which I know none of you have only sinned once. But if you have, that's still enough to separate you from God. And only through Christ's death and atoning work on the cross can we be made right with God. So, really, again, even if you are like a Rahab, I don't know, but if he, he desired to reveal himself for his good pleasure and her good to a pagan prostitute, and he wants to reveal himself to you. Now, these, 
these results also highlight God's sovereignty to use anyone for his purposes. Now, the, like I said, the genealogy is really kind of where I see the bigger picture of what God is doing in the life of Rahab. That for his own sovereign purposes, and again, for his pleasure, he chose Rahab to be the one through whom the people of Jericho would encounter and help to conquer Jericho, but also in a much greater sense, to be the one through whom Jesus Christ would come into the world. So we read in Matthew 1.5, and Solomon was the father of Boaz by Ruth, and, and by Ruth, by Rahab, and Boaz the father of Obed by Ruth, and Obed the father of Jesse, and Jesse the father of David the king. Now I could go through the whole list, but uh, let's get to David, most of you know him, and then uh, through David and all of his descendants, we eventually get to Christ. Now, it, it's just crazy to me. Who would have thought that the Savior of the world would come through a Canaanite prostitute? Now, now it wasn't as she was a prostitute, but then she married, she entered, ended up being included in the people of Israel. But I just find it so ironic in just the way that God likes to work that he would use a prostitute that through come light salvation and in purity itself, Jesus Christ, that he would use her in a way to fulfill a promise to Abraham that she's not even really thinking about or realizing that through him, all the people of the nations would be blessed. And now through her, he's continuing on that promise and bringing it to its fulfillment which is also a way that we, that we see that we don't know how God is using us. And really, and really, we see the faithfulness of God to Rahab in this story, but also to Abraham in this story. And we see the faithfulness of him bringing Christ into the world. And really, I've seen this, we see this throughout the whole Bible of God continually being faithful, him working his plan out for, for its completion, starting in Genesis 315 and how he says that he will crush that of the serpent and then just continuing to carry along his people, preserve his line so that Christ would come through, so that Christ would come into the world. Now, so really, we see hope in this and we see that God, you may not know it now, is working his, a plan out for you, for the good of the church in ways that we don't even think, that we're not even thinking about. But he is faithful, and he will do what he has said. When God declares something, he's not a man that he should lie, but he will do it. There's no question about that. And we can take really real hope in this, that God has said that he will finish your salvation. God has made so many promises to us in the word of God, and all of them will ring true. Sometimes we pick through them and go, oh, I like that one. Uh, but this one might not be true. All of them are true, and all of them bear to our lives. So how do you need to stand in the Lord Almighty? How can we practically see ways to cultivate a faithfulness to God? How can that knowing God, sovereign in control, give you hope? And I don't know. Like, I don't know how God is wanting you to act or what he's wanting you to do, whether it's to believe in Christ for the first time or to, again, look at your present obedience 
and then see, all right, what do I need to do today? Maybe you're fo focusing too much on the future. You're focusing too much on the past, and Christ just says, be with me today. I desire your obedience and desire your fellowship today and walk with me, and I'll take you to tomorrow. Or maybe, again, like I said, you have to look at kind of your actions and see, all right, what am I really believing? Am I really believing what I say I believe? And is my faith the outcome of action? And if it, and if it isn't, then what am I really believing? Or do you really need to, really, do you need hope? Do you need encouragement to know that God is working a plan out? That we may not know all the details, but it's all so that we'll be conformed into the image of Christ and for the glory of God the Father, that he may delight in his church and we may delight in him. So it doesn't matter where you have been, but how you move forward. Move forward with an authentic faith, a faith that is evidenced by actions of obedience.